Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I will be speaking to Martin Bescheidt and George Perry, the authors of a new book, E-Goals. Bringing together over 100 of the world's top high-performance sports practitioners, in addition to their own experiences in the sports industry, they have put together a book exploring the nature and role that ego plays in the workplace of elite sport. Martin is a very well-known sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach who was the former head of performance at Paris Saint-Germain Football Club and currently works for Kitman Labs. And George is a sports performance specialist and sports businessman based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This episode of the Informed Performance podcast has been sponsored by Vol Performance, makers of the Force Frame. Used by health and performance professionals for assessing and improving performance and rehabilitation, the Force Frame is a powerful solution for quickly and accurately testing isometric strength and imbalances. In addition to testing athletes, the Force Frame is also used to maintain and improve strength, offering over 130 isometric training protocols. As a portable and easy-to-use system, the Force Frame is designed to ensure every measurement can be accurately and reliably measured, time after time again. To learn more about the Force Frame, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. You're listening to Informed Performance with me, Annie McDonald, and let's get into today's episode with Martin Bescheidt and George Perry. Martin and George, it's, uh, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Welcome to Informed Performance. Hey, Andy. Good, good to chat to you. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yes, thank you for having us on. Just to um, just to kick off, could I get you both to kind of go through your um, backgrounds just to create a bit of context? Um, we'll, we'll get into the, the bulk of the episode in a minute, but if you can kind of just explain what you do and, and your backstories, that'd be great. If we start with you, Martin. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not very good at talking about myself, but I, I, I like to define me as both as a researcher and as, and as well as someone that has spent a lot of time on, on, on the field. I really have a strength conditioning background and... Yeah, that's that's my thing, and that's why I like like to do to try to do applied research and use the research uh, when I'm working with with a team. Um, I spent a fair bit of time in, um, in in Paris, working at Paris Saint Germain for the last six years. Before I, wo- I worked in Qatar, uh, worked in as a consultant Australia, a bit a bit everywhere, um, and I'm working now uh, for Kitman Lab. So. Um, bit of more background types of work and I really enjoy the, the what we do at the moment. I've been in the uh, sports industry for about 10 years, you know, equally on the coaching side and on the business side. So I think I've done pretty much every job there is to do except actually being an athlete. So over the last four to five years, I've been uh, really freelancing at both as a coach and as a marketer, as a writer, working for tech companies, sports performance companies, um, Companies on the business side of sports, you know, the commercial sponsorship type work. And mostly I've my writing as, you know, content marketing, blogs, articles on any topic, also covering a few teams. So this is my first foray into something as long, as intense as as a book. Uh, prior to getting into the sports world, I spent a brief span of time at a law school. And before that, I was an officer in the U.S. Navy. So Came into sports a little bit later in life, kind of through the back door. But uh, you know, after ten or eleven years, it's it's really it's where I am now. Cool. That's a that's a very mixed background. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. So so the big reason I want to get you guys on the show at this kind of present day and timing is you have a book coming out called Eagles. Um, 
I have to say, I love the concept of this book. What a kind of mature and uh, refreshing contribution to the industry. Um, first things briefly, could you could you kind of explain how you guys connected, I guess, as co-authors for it? And then we'll get into the kind of uh, the meat of the of the book. Um, yeah, maybe I, I can start on, on that. So let's say the, the story of the book is is really something that kind of built it up, built up over over the years for 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 a while. And we keep saying that when we try to introduce the, the book of the pitch of the book is that that's kind of the book I wished I could have read uh, 15 years ago. Um, so the book was not meant to be a book at the start. It was really meant to be, it was just me reaching out to, to, to colleagues, to peers to get their thoughts on this specific topic about, I needed advices uh, about my own ego and how they would manage those specific situations about themselves and others. Um, and then those interviews, as I, again, those phone calls with peers were so beneficial for me. I thought I should make interviews about the topic. And then those interviews became, Hey, let's do a book. But as soon as I started, I, I started to send those interviews called people. I just received so many positive answers that I quickly realized that. That would be impossible to do everything on my own. Um, and I really needed someone that would have the skill to summarize the things, help me, of course, with having a proper non-scientific types of writing uh, and so on. And I didn't really know where to look at because all my former co-authors, contributors were coming as me from the field of uh, sports science of physiology. So it was really kind of a, almost a random decision to say, okay, I've heard about those uh, platform online when you can hire someone uh, for an hour, for two hours, just to correct something. So I posted the the, the, the job. And uh, I think within less than a day, I received an email from an American. And then I can pass on probably the the mic to, to George. Yeah, that's pretty much how it happened. I, uh, as a freelancer, I get a lot of my work and a lot of my projects on Upwork. And so I have one of my search terms just set for sports because there's not too many people who kind of specialize in it the way I do. And I'm scrolling through the feed for sports and I see that there's one for, you know, looking for a editor for a book on ego and high performance sports. Like, okay, that sounds interesting. And the first line was, you know, my name is Martin Bushite. And I'm like, whoa, Martin Bushite. Like, I know this name. I've read a bunch of his journals, articles going back to grad school. This is cool. And this is a hell of an opportunity. So I applied, gave him my background, uh, you know, said, you know, I've read your stuff. You know, I did the fanboy thing a little bit and we started talking and, you know, we, we got along well enough and I had enough of a background that I came on board the project. Mara started sharing his thoughts, his background, some of the initial chapters with me. And, you know, it just kind of went from there. You know, what he was doing was very interesting. What he had already in hand was just incredible. I mean, how often does any author or any person bring together at that point, I think it was 80 contributors from around the field into a single project. I mean, that alone is pretty awesome. And we've just kind of developed the, the scope of the book as well as our working relationship since then. Cool. And how, how have you guys kind of structured the book, George? Like, I know it's different to maybe sort of like familiar texts for people that work in performance that are more kind of methodology based. Yeah, uh, you know, Martin had the structure really in place and the, the broad scope of it is about the same. I mean, he, he organized the book by the questions he asked and the answers that were coming back to him. 
as you, know, you ask 80, 90 people who work in this field, their thoughts on topics, and they're going to start falling into buckets and they just kind of spoke to what they were. Um, and so in terms of the organization, you know, what he realizes there's, there's the things that, that get screwed up the most, the ego F-ups. There's the things where people have succeeded and there's the lessons learned, the, the tips that you should do, the tips that you do not. And in some cases, you know, the authors them, or the, I'm sorry, the contributors themselves made such a good point that they inspired a chapter. So one concept we go into a lot about is this idea of your ego volume. So when does a situation require you to really whip it out? And when might you need to back off it a little bit to, to get the point across, to relate? Um, I, I forget offhand who that contributor was, Mark, and I think it might have Steve Tashian. Yes, um, exactly. Okay. Yep. So Steve Tashian came up with the idea and we loved it. Turn the volume up. So in that case, it was a, you know, letting the contributors kind of shape the book. But ultimately where it had to build to was a situation that Martin was in when we met and that I had experienced, you know, a couple of years previous in my own career where you're in a job that should be your dream job. You're in a situation where people on the outside are like, dude, you have everything. You've accomplished so much, man. One of these days, like, I wish I could be you. And you're just like, oh, my God, get me out of here. And that's a situation that I think like not just in sports, but a lot of people kind of get into when they, you know, reach that midpoint of their career. You know, it's not as cliched as a midlife crisis. We're not going to go down that road, but it's just more like you've reached a certain level and you realize that, well, I'm not doing my job. I'm doing all the other BS, the politics, the personnel management, the ego stroking. Is that really what I've put all this time and effort into? And what does it say if I'm at the pinnacle of my profession and I'm looking for the escape hatch? And Martin, you, you mentioned earlier that this, this was the, uh, uh, the book that you wish you'd had or read, you know, previously in your life. Was there kind of uh, things going on in practical environments or, um, you know, what in a sort of like real sense triggered you to want this book now, I guess, in terms of timing? Well, name of... So there's, there's two, yeah, two questions in it. So first, the, the need for such a book, because I would say, but that's in the air anyway. Like we know that now all our training, the background we have from universities, courses, it's about the actual, the actual, the core of the job in terms of, okay, you do a, um, a physiotherapy uh, course, you're going to know how to treat a player. You do a sports science, you know, you know how to analyze data and, and so on. But without the ability, of course, to connect with people, you know, without all the soft skills, you're not going anywhere. So I think this is now something that you would not hear five, ten years ago, but now this is in the air. You know, like a lot of books coming out, everyone talks about the importance of soft skills. So that's one level. But I think you need to go to a higher level, which is not only about the soft skills, about how to deal with and connect with the others. It's just about to manage yourself better. And this was... I don't think that was available yet, you know, about more managing yourself and managing some very specific types of situation where it's not about just making relationship, making, making friends to do better your job and get your message across. But it's about dealing with, dealing with people that are sometimes, uh, very difficult to deal with anyway, you know. So I've been on myself as well going through. Uh, I've did an, an online certification about dealing with difficult situations. Uh, I've been through completely out of the sporting area to, to, to look for information of how, yeah, how to deal with, um, with those specific situations in the workplace. 
And I've heard from many people and I've read many things that were not coming from sports. So putting everything together, so okay, there's a space where definitely there's nothing because I've been looking for that for, for, for years. Um, and then why now? I mean, that's, I'm always referring to the, to the universe. Um, there was something that happened in, in the universe, which was, was called COVID, you know? And, uh, if I had not been, uh, sitting at my mom's place in the Alp for two months, I would have never had, had the opportunity to get this started. I would have had done those interviews because I had started over the last six months anyway, but there will still be uh, notes in, in my notebook. But to get the time to say, okay, let's make it happen now, COVID. Mm. I guess a good, a good period of like reflection and um, as any, you know, I don't think we'll probably get yeah, another I'm opportunity not, like that yeah, as, a, as an industry. To, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, now, obviously, it's, you know, the book's about ego and there's, there's two chefs in the kitchen writing this book between you two guys. Um, I'm kind of curious if we go to George first on this one, but how did the kind of process go for you both contributing together? Because I think the, the thing that's interesting with sport and a bit like Martin was saying, you kind of learn how to do the, the job and you learn your skills. And then you get into this practical environment and you're around other people in a, in a vocational profession that people have selected for themselves. And um, strong feelings, strong ideas. Uh, everyone has sometimes different ways of doing things as it kind of pertains to the book. How, how did it go working together? Did, you know, did you both have different uh, ways of doing things and different ideas for it? Yes, we did. We did have very different ways of doing things, which, uh, and you know, you kind of figure we've never met. We've been working together and we're, you know, all the hours of over a year and, you know, was obviously a very intimate and personal experience of co-authoring a book. And, you know, we've done maybe a dozen face-to-face -face calls on Zoom or Google Meet and a crap ton of WhatsApp messages. But yeah, I mean, it's been a very weird working relationship. Um, I was fortunate in one sense that one of my previous colleagues and friends, I also have never met him too. You know, we, we only knew each other through Slack. We, uh, we co-edited a website for two and a half years together. One of the best co-workers I've ever had. One of the best friends I've ever had. Never met. So I had some experience with it, but obviously writing a book is a different beast. Um, so yeah, we have you know very different work ethics. Um, not ethics, work processes. Um, Martin, being a scientist, he's very rigorous. He's very analytical. He's very process-driven. I'm not. Um, shorthand, short answer there. Uh, but, and, and, and more substantively though, we had very different perspectives on ego. Um, I'm very pro ego. And I think that's where we, the part of why I wanted to be on this project is because, you know, one of Martin's favorite books is ego is the enemy by Ryan holiday. Many of our contributors cite this book favorably. We had many more people talk about when they had too much ego and how they need to tone down their ego. And I'm like, Dear God, no, we need more ego in this world, but ego properly understood. So we had a really interesting balance and battle sometimes. I mean, and there was a time in the, you know, back in the fall, September, October, where I thought we had an irreconcilable difference and that I was, I was ready to walk away from the book because I didn't think I could keep myself and my integrity intact saying the things that I knew Martin believed just as strongly as I believe in things myself let alone speaking on behalf of 100 contributors and trying to sum them up. But what we figured out how to do, both as two human beings and as co-authors, is present all these ideas side by side and you know speak as a united voice on those areas where we were united. And I think a recognition for me was like, I'm not here to convince Martin. 
And we're also not here to tell people the one way how to do it. We're giving people some options. We have 110 contributors telling really fascinating anecdotes, sharing insights, sharing the things they've learned. And we're two guys who have cobbled together our own research and our experience into a book. But we're not experts in ego. We're not, we're not Pippa Grange, who's one of our contributors. She's an expert in eagle. ego. Michael Caulfield, sports psychologist, experts in ego. Georgia Martin, two guys who have experience and ideas and have put together a roadmap, a menu for people to pick and choose, and hopefully not repeat the F-ups that make up the largest chapter in the book and do better along the way so that they don't end up in the same position you know, so many of us have been in at this point in their careers. We're just guides. That's, that, that's it. And I think once we realize that, it wasn't this like constant battle or conflict debate. It's more like give people the option. They're smart enough to figure it out. Make your case and let them run with it. And, and Martin, I guess like to, you know, within George's answer there, he said that, you know, you sometimes need more ego. Um, in a kind of professional sports environment, is there times, uh, you know, having, having had these conversations with George and written the book and from your experience, when are the sort of times where you where you need to bring ego to the room or you need you need ego, you know, because normally we kind of talk about ego in a negative way where, you know, we're saying people should kind of park their egos elsewhere. But when can you use your ego in a, in a productive way in sport? Uh, yeah, of course. And that's that's why George was saying that probably one of my favorite book was uh, Ego is the Enemy because working in elite sport and again, uh, all, all this does, I think that's important to say that that's not coming directly immediately from my, my 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 last experience you know it's really a reflection of what happens everywhere is that most of the time people gets in the way of people working to of of collaboration that that this is what causes the, the more the biggest problem and because there's no collaboration the process is not perfect and then things not don't go don't go well uh, so that's why probably us having worked in those environments, we see the more as, a, as an enemy. Because the thing is, we don't even realize that it's because we have an, a big ego that we managed to get there. Because be, 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 without this, this ego, you would not be pushing uh, to get through your studies, to the competition, to, be, to facing those, uh, th th those players that have another big ego as well. You would not be able even, you would not even be there. So we don't even realize that without that, it would be impossible. And when you have to talk to a group of, uh, of players and ask them to do something like it would be a fitness test or some hard session, if you don't have the, the capacity to convince them, it's not about authority. It's just, it's, it's about convincing people, being, being, being proud of your idea and confident in, in, in the process. And if you don't have this self-confidence, you don't exist. So it's there, but we don't realize it. I would say. And what what was the kind of final count on contributors you guys had? Was it what, how many did you reach in total from the industry, and and uh, and how did you select them? I guess is the other other thing I'm fascinated to know. Yeah, the, the selection is a tricky one, and um, I'm almost sorry for the the other hundred or two hundred that I did not contacted contact or reached out i don't know it really came almost organically organically so i start as i said there's a big bunch of those probably a third are the people i i actually called on phone or because they were my closest peers let's say when i was looking for help i would say 
Um, and then he went like, okay, by the way, I'm sure this guy, like, for example, I had talked to, just an example, Darren Burgess, we talked a lot about this, this, this topic when uh, he left Arsenal. So, of course, he was one of the first person I, I called uh, because I knew he, he had such a wide experience in so many different clubs that he would be the best person to talk to. But then I also emailed uh, my good friend, uh, Johan Lisboru, who I met more than 10 years ago in Australia because he's been now working in, in, in AHL, in, uh, in NFL, in NBA. And even though I hadn't been that close to him, I knew that he would have something to say as well. So it was really, I think, all the person that I knew from very close or not that came to my mind, I just contacted them. And then there's a few people that said, oh, by the way, I'm sure, having done your interview now, I'm sure, you don't know, it may be this guy, but I'm sure he will have good things to say. Bam, you know? And as come, and then I bounced on people, like, I think, I don't know in which which podcast I listened to to Ben as well, Ben Ashworth. And I said, oh, I like, I like the mentality of this guy. So I reached out to him, even though we didn't really knew each other before. I knew who he was. Um, we had common network. But so there's, there's a few people like that, that, that I reached, I reached out just because I heard from them, you know. Um, and in the end, we got, we have 111 interviews and name in the book. And I probably have lost on the way. I don't think more than, I think on top of my mind, I have maybe five or six who said, I'm not doing it. And, uh, and another 20 or 30 who said, I'll do it. But I kept chasing them and they never came back to me. So in, in overall, I think that it's not, not, not too bad. But for sure, we could have, with more time, we could have 100 more, you know. But I don't think that will change the, the idea of the book. And George didn't want to have a, so many words anyway. So we are already far, far above the, the limit. So I think, no, for the... Yeah, it would be a different opinion, but I think, yeah, the, the, the message, we have it, definitely. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, and you know, I know you're going to speak to other pods and um, a, a lot of the podcasts that exist in the industry uh, are more on the sort of strength conditioning flavor. So um, maybe we can kind of spin this towards medical and, and sort of the physio realms. But was there any kind of conversations you had with those uh, contributing authors or, you know, people that, uh, you know, you had conversations with? Was there any kind of physios or medical staff that, uh, you know, have their stories in the in the book? I'm just wondering if there's any interesting uh, examples you can share um, more in like the rehab space. Yeah, the, there's a lot. I'll, I'll make just an introduction around that and I'll, I'll let, because I'm sure George has some uh, vision as well. Just to let you know about the proportion. So we probably have um, 15% of the overall uh, contribution, contributor pool that is directly physio or medical. So it's not as big as like in my network is more in, on the sport science and the, the strength and conditioning. That, that, that's what I explained. Uh, but I would say that all of the, the, the people in this industry that have responded have been amazing in their, in their contribution. And what I felt from this, let's say this, this, this pool of, of people is that they probably had an even higher level of self reflection than maybe the majority of, of the others. As if the, the, the need to, you know, to treat players, to be into this, to create those intimate relationship have made them reflect even more on this, this specific aspect of dealing with, with, with your own ego again. When you want to get something across, does not work and facing that. So that's been, that's brilliant. And, um, yeah. So, and I think 
around the, 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 the physio aspect, you know, you always have those typical battles uh, in, in every single organization where physio is treating, is treating a player for, for rehab and then you always have this transition. When the rehab is not a physio rehab anymore, but it starts to be the rehab in the gym, on the pitch, and this is probably where you need to have the highest level of collaboration and cooperation in any in, in any in, in any industry, because this is where you have easily the the ability to to f up again. You know, you don't you don't communicate enough and so on. And again, the we we have nice stories about thinking always about the the player's interest first and not about yourself. You know. That came very, very often from uh, from the physio, and having the ability to to meet players halfway, to meet your colleagues halfway, to put them in their shoes. Okay, I think because of my ability as a physio, I can also do this gym work for sure. But because I need, I believe in the process, I'll probably trust my colleague and say, okay, I'll hand over. This is, let's say, your your turn. And instead of just looking at him and saying, ah, I don't think I would have done like that, you know, you will be better. Like, okay, let's, if I, if I can assist you in, into doing those couple of gym sessions, uh, I'll, I'll let you lead because that's now your role, but I'll, I'll be here to support you if there's anything. And this is the, the best, the best way to, to, to balance nicely your, your ego because you recognize, you may even recognize the, the limitation of your colleague, but instead of putting him down, you just help him, you know. Um, so I think this is a nice example of the transition when you have to, to really play, uh, the te- uh, yeah, an example of teamwork, you know? Yeah. I think that's really relatable. And I think, um, you know, when that player is going along that, that kind of rehab journey and continuum, I think it's, it's one, it's one of, it's definitely one of the times where every member of staff tends to get involved at a different time. And I think it's really easy for someone to say, um, oh, why is he doing that? That's not his role or, um, exactly. It's it's an all too familiar scenario, I'm sure, to many listeners. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. It's about the player. You know, that does not yeah. matter who's doing what. Yeah. But yeah, that's right. that theory and, and practice. George, how can I don't know if this is a stupid or overly simplistic question, but um, you know, someone reads your book or someone listening uh is now uh overtly more aware of their ego. How do they how do you kind of assess your own ego if you wanted to uh simplistically try to, you know try and understand yourself a little bit more. Obviously, you know, you can read books like this and, uh, and reflect, but how do, you, how do you assess it in yourself? I think the, the, probably the easiest way, the easiest little phrase we've come up with is that, you know, ego is your reality check. And one of the phrases that we use a lot, you know, when we set up the book, when we introduce is that in sports, we often say, hey, you know, that player, you know, he's got a huge ego, but at least he's got the chops to back it up. And it's interesting because in sports, we actually give them the chance to back it up. We'll actually say, he's got a huge ego, but let's go to whoscore.com, see what his stats are, see if he can back up his social media game. Any other aspect of life, whether it's backroom practitioners like us or, you know, a, uh, a software coder, if they have a big ego, we just say, screw them. We don't give them the chance to back it up. But your ego is what kind of connects you with reality. It's what connects you with other people. So when you're assessing your own ego, you kind of want to look at it the same way other people look at you. Do you have the chops to back it up? Are you all that? Are you just your social media game? Or are you actually the guy who has, you know, progressed your that player from being, you know, carted off the pitch 
to the underwater treadmill, to the gym, back to the pitch, you know, in five weeks when all the algos said it would take six weeks. You know, that's kind of your reality check. I can read your blogs. I can read your social media. I think you're you're all that. But it's it may only be in that little circle of the training room itself where anybody knows, yeah, he didn't actually do it. It was all the other people who covered up for his screw ups. How you answer that reality check. And one way that we can do that, and, and this is something I think is really difficult, you know, especially like you guys were just talking about when you get to these really detailed um, job descriptions, you know, when you're handing off the rehab process, the return to play process is what's your role and like, what are your performance indicators? Like what are your personal and professional KPIs? So when you had a player off to the, you know, first team strength and conditioning staff, you can say, okay, I accomplish X, Y, Z with this athlete. Therefore, I can have whatever level of ego. That doesn't mean you go Blair it on LinkedIn, but it means that you go home that night satisfied in what you did and able to hold your own at the staff meeting later that week when you know the high performance manager is all WTF and you're like, no, boom, 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 boom. And it doesn't get personal. It doesn't become an ad hominem attack. You can say, this is what I did. You can be proud of that. You can have ego in that and not be just whipping it out on the table and, you know, getting into a pissing match, you know, in front of the players, in front of the staff, that sort of thing. So it, it really comes back to that reality check, but you have to know, like, what are you going for? What are you trying to achieve? And then being honest enough with yourself, being, you know, being willing to be vulnerable, so to speak, to answer that question, knowing that you might have screwed it up. Uh, Martin, kind of having put this book together and having had all these different conversations, when and and, you, and I'll, you pick your own context for this because it, otherwise it'd be a horrible question but when you work in sport maybe in that rehab process or or another um scenario when ego starts to become an issue maybe not in yourself but in others how how do you respond to that now or how would you in, in the sense that you've you've kind of gained this wisdom about ego how do you how do you deal with other people's egos if they're becoming a problem because i think in sport that that definitely can happen a lot well in any workplace but um yeah, how do you manage that now or how would you i think again it becomes first to how you manage yours and especially when you already have this level of self-confidence and you already proved uh, yourself and others you have achieved things so it could be in academia you already have published uh, this amount of papers or you've been in this big club this big club this big club so you just start to think and you may have numbers to back that up that you are just doing the right things and then it's when people start to, to, to question what you're doing without, and that this is when it starts to be, it's become difficult to understand why it does, why it does even need to be questioned because that's the way it should be because you have, now you've proven everything. And this is where I've obviously learned a lot from those contributors is that, that I probably found that most of them were way more they were wiser than me. They were way more able to take some distance from those, those questionments. And that's where I started to think, okay, by the way, if now we're having an argument, are we having an argument about the gym session, the number of reps, or they just don't like me as a person? You know, is, Who is challenged? The exercise? The question is about the exercise or the, or the person? And this is a simple thing. But again, easier said than done. Because most of the time, when you enter an argument, 
it's black and white. You disagree with me, so you are you are a bad person, you know. Or you are, and it becomes very, very heated, and it escalates very, very quickly. So, having seen all those reflections from my peers about everything, like, like, no, first take it easy, relax, have a deep breath. There are more important things in life, and and first start to think, who is really question, you know? And it's kind of this maturity from a lot of uh, my peers that I really kind of admire and that I need to learn from them about that, definitely, you know? And once you understand that about yourself, you just, in general, reverse the process with others. When you start to talk to those kind of people that may act as you were acting before, you say, okay, I'm going to just maybe, again, meet them halfway. Um, like, uh, we had a, uh, yeah, few, few good, that, that's, that's in a book and the thing would be too long to reveal everything, but we have kind of almost a, a checklist of how to approach those critical situations about how to handle the, the situation right in the moment, the context, the person, and so on. And this is the, the beauty of the book is that when you put 111 vision tactics, uh, approach of people together, you have something that is pretty, pretty useful as a, um, as a strategy. Definitely. George, I think like, um, something that kind of comes to my mind is, and, and you mentioned Ryan Holiday earlier, you know, I've read, uh, kind of, I guess if we call them self-development books, um, a lot in the past and I, and I think probably so so have many others and you read them and they're fascinating and um, you can get really good insight about yourself and then you can have all the good intent in the world but sometimes you kind of read these books and they really resonate with you but then a few days later you're not necessarily interrupting your own life or, or process or way of doing things how do you kind of uh, I guess take a book like this um, that that will probably resonate with people really well but then go to work the next day or actually start to action things that did resonate with you in reading it? Well, I, I, I don't think it's anything that's going to be that quick of a change. You know, it's like, it's any other skill, you know, it's like anything else that we do is, you know, you, you, know, you take the weekend course, you get your CEUs, you, you know, do the six week intensive session at, you know, Aspire Academy or like wherever, but you don't show up to work on Monday all like, yes, I know everything about that thing I just learned. No, I mean, it takes you a while to internalize it. And, and this is no different. In a way, it's probably even harder because we're talking about aspects of psychology and personal philosophy that in some ways go back to our childhood. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, we're and, and again, like I said, we're, we're, we're not teachers and we're not experts. We're not reprogramming anyone. It's Sad to say, it's a long, hard process to, you know, accomplish these sorts of things. And it's why people are motivated to write books and read books. Um, and, and I think, you know, looping back to like an original point, I think this is part of why ego gets such a bad rap in just common usage, because it, it, it deals with the self. It deals with reality. Those are two very difficult concepts because facing yourself, facing reality, that can, both of those can suck at times. But then the third aspect is you have to work at it. You know, your ego is yourself. Um, Pippa Grange calls it your identity. It's not, it's not just like this organ that you have. It's not just something that's given to you, you know, at baptism or when you get your master's degree. You build it yourself. Garbage in, garbage out, as the software people say. And that's a lot of responsibility. I mean, who wants to deal with that? 
So it's really easy to say, screw ego, it's the enemy. You know what? I'm just going to kill it. It's still there. You're still dealing with it. Now you just have a zombie ego. So, you know, it's it's any other skill that's worth having. But it's I think, again, I think that's why it's such a negative word, because to do it right, like anything else, takes a lot of work, sometimes uncomfortable work, sometimes a lot of things you need to think about while you're out for a run in the morning or wherever the case may be. Um, I feel like I should probably ask this. Um, you know, over COVID, I noticed especially that, um, you know, everybody had more time, but especially in sport, you know, coaching staff definitely had uh, more more time on their hands at times. And there was a big emergence of uh, blogging, Instagram content, um, uh, podcasting, um, mentorship programs, all these kind of little like side hustle businesses emerged. And, and I'm aware that someone listening to this will have a book in mind for themselves. What was the, how does a, you know, uh, a strength conditioning coach, sports scientist, physio, whoever, what's the process of them writing a book? Because I feel like me asking you this might save you uh, fielding questions uh, <laughs> over LinkedIn or whatever on people who want to write their own book. I mean, I'm not just saying this to protect our market share. Uh, don't. It is a <laughs> long, hard process. Uh, highly rewarding, highly fulfilling. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but dear God, it's harder than it looks. <laughs> What, what does the process look like? Because I know there'll be someone in that sort of uh, continuing COVID spirit that is uh, reaching outside of their typical role and wants uh, something in the background like a book or, um, you know, something else. But yeah, it, it's, it's so hard that you, like for everything, but maybe even more than nothing, you really have to be motivated and committed to the end goal because I don't, I'm not sure the process is always that enjoyable. I mean, it is, it, it, it is. It is, but it's, it's not, uh, like, yeah, it's not the first thing you put on the list. So I think, yeah, endpoint is important. And, but this is really me. So maybe it does not work for other people, but I'm very, as George said before, I'm very process driven. You know, I have my routines, my days. If you look at my Google calendar, you're just going to cry because every moment is organized, optimized. So I'm very nerdy with that. And then I just, said, okay, if I want to get, get this done, my window, it's hopefully the target is minimum five times a week. Sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's three. Uh, minimum an hour a day. And it's between five and 7.30. That's the only, only moment in my day that I can work on that because then family, kids, and the, the real work, you know, the, the real, you real, because you, you, I don't think we're going to make a living with this book either, you know? So, and, <laughs> and George, he has all his work as well in his coaching and the, the, the other project he has. So, I mean, long story short, for me, it's been those early mornings for a year and a half. And it gave that really built my, my, my routine was built around that. Um, and this an hour a day, a, pay, a page a day, I got that from uh, Alistair Macko, which is really about building habits that really hit his thing and um yeah that's how let's say i did my part let's say you know what one of the things that i you know in my writing and marketing career that i always said is like don't write an article that you can read somewhere else when i was writing a for a pretty high volume website where we had to churn out a certain number of articles a month you know my challenge was 
to myself was always, I want to write the articles that I can't go somewhere else to read. And I would get really self-critical if I felt like I wrote something that I could then see somewhere else. And now we're kind of doing this at you know the, the book level. And again, one of the things that attracted me to this project and one of the things that I think gives us, and, and this is our ego speaking, my ego, that makes this book very unique and unlike what else is out there is the scope of our contributors. I, I can't think of many books in any field where you bring together 110 experts to talk about something that's not directly what they're experts in. I mean, we can read a textbook on strength and conditioning that gets input from 60 strength and conditioning coaches. That's awesome. I mean, and, and you want to have that in a strength and conditioning textbook. But to get 100 people in this high-performance sports to talk about something that's kind of adjacent to their job or in the background you're not going to find that anywhere else but this book. And, you know, again, the responsibility and the pressure that put on us was to do service to that. Um, I mean, three quarters, three quarters of this book by word count, I would say, is our contributors. What Martin and I kind of did was we organized it, we structured it, we wrote, you know, the introductions to the chapters and all that sort of thing. But by and large, we are giving the platform for the contributors. And, you know, unless you have Martin's address book, it's going to be very hard for anybody to do the same thing. But I would welcome it in any other field. It would be really interesting to hear, you know, a hundred Silicon Valley types do the same sort of exercise. A hundred Wall Streeters do the same sort of exercise just so we can see how ego crosses over. Because, I mean, our, we're kind of basing a lot of this book on the idea that what we see and what we learn in high performance sport will translate to other high performance industries. I think it could. I think it does. You know, from from my experiences in some other high pressure jobs. But hey, you know, someone, please prove me right or wrong and write this book for another industry and, uh, you know, link to our website and all. <laughs> um, million dollar question. Where can people find it? You know, what platforms or uh, how does the listener go and get this book? <laughs> um, at the time we speak, uh, the book is is done. It's not about just uh, putting it on, on Amazon because we decided to, to self-publish uh, there. Um, website is live, so it just depends when the, the, the podcast goes, goes live. It will be just still pre-order or, or ordering straight. Um, yeah, so um, Amazon was definitely the easiest option for us as well. Not We have nothing to do with Amazon, and uh, of course, uh, if we're talking about COVID, there are other things that could be discussed also with how they dealt with that. Uh, but just selfishly for us, um, uh, it was, it's just the easy way because you can still update at, until last, you know, you have such a freedom and everything is about being free. Because again, I said, this came at a moment where if I talk about me, I found the opportunity to do it. And so if, if we were to compromise ourselves to deliver at a set time for a proper publisher, that will not become the project that this organic project that kind of grew throughout the, the, the last year and a half. So it's, it's yeah, the, the, the liberty we have with that is, is pretty cool also. And I'll just give the really short uh, final uh, you know, answer to that question. Our website is eaglesbook.com. So eagles, E-G-O-A-L-S, book.com. Same handle on Instagram, eaglesbook. By the time this podcast goes live, those will, fingers crossed. When are you going live, Andy? Those will be live. <laughs> Cool. And where can people follow you guys individually? Uh, maybe Martin, you first. Um, I have my Twitter and my Insta as well. It's aim uh, M A R T one. 
B-U-C-H. Cool. And George? I'm not on social media, despite being a marketing guy. Uh, and <laughs> my, my own website, I am working on building it out because I hate writing about myself. So I know it needs to get done, but there will be contact info for both Martin and I on the eaglesbook.com website, george at eaglesbook.com, martin at eaglesbook.com. Cool. Well, guys, thank you both very much for your for your time, and 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 also just thank you very much for putting this into the into the sphere of the industry and uh, collecting so many uh, stories and insights from people in the industry to to deliver value. So, yeah, thank you for your time today, and, and thank you for the book. That's been great to chat. Thanks for for the invite as well. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. A big thanks to Martin and George for providing us with such an interesting insight into their book and also the process along the way. I hope you, the listener, enjoyed this slightly different style of episode today. If you've got any guest or episode suggestions, then please get in contact with us via our website, informperformance.com, or via social media at informperformance for Instagram or at informpod for Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Inform Performance. Catch us next week for more performance and sports medicine insights.